0: Welcome to the PA Leadership Podcast, brought to you by the Pennsylvania Association of Intermediate Units. The PA Leadership Podcast highlights aspiration, inspiration, and innovation in education during times of adversity and prosperity. Now to your hosts, Dr. Greg Coons and Dr. Mark Hoffman.
1: All right, welcome to the PA Leadership Podcast. My name is Greg Coons, and I'm the Executive Director of School Cole Intermediate Unit 29.
0: As always, alongside Greg, I'm Mark Hoffman, the proud Executive Director of the Bucks County Intermediate Unit. What are I use, Greg? Well, we're the Agile Entrepreneurial Service Agencies, providing services to the schools of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. What are we talking about today?
1: So today's a, a really exciting episode on communication, strategic communication, and it's called Tell Me Your Story. Um, And we have two incredible, incredible individuals with us today who serve on a strategic communication group uh, with PAIU. So first of all, our first is Mary Curley, who serves as the Director of Communications and Learning Solutions at Chester County IU. Welcome, Mary.
2: Welcome. Thanks for having me over.
1: Glad you're here. And our second special guest is Attorney Tina Valletto who is the Director of Community and Government Relations at Montgomery County IU. Welcome, Tina.
3: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: So, guys, welcome. Um, I think the four of us, we've worked together for a long time. Um, You guys are so central, not only to your respective counties, but to the state of Pennsylvania. So thanks for all that you do. Mary, congratulations on your recent award.
2: Oh, thank you. I, I was shocked and stunned, and um sitting here beside a fellow award winner, so that's always fun, too.
0: It, it is amazing when we have folks that have been recognized as leaders in the state, and as I mentioned, that that's really both of you. So, So congratulations for all that you've done and all that you are yet to do in thank the field you. of education. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Greg, you teed us off. I mean, you talked yeah. about we're going to focus on communication. Yes, we're. So here we are. We're communicating on a podcast. We communicate in everything we do, right? Sometimes we communicate well. Sometimes we don't communicate so well. Sometimes we'd like a second bite at that apple. I think you guys are prime examples of communicating well. And I think you also advise people on how to communicate well. So for the folks that are listening, aspiring leaders, sitting leaders, what are some of those effective communication strategies that you've garnered and learned over your career?
2: So I think the most important one, and you, you two right now are exhibiting it, right, and that is being authentic, right? When you communicate, uh, just be yourself. You have a purpose and you have a message that you need to deliver, but always just be yourself. Don't put on a different facade or a, a different air. That doesn't mean you don't have to change your tone, right? You have to Sometimes you have to be serious, sometimes you have to be upbeat, sometimes you have to be fun, sometimes uh, you have to be just, uh, here are the facts, and sometimes you can embellish. Uh, But always when you're doing that, uh, be true to who you are. And I think that is the number one rule in being effective in your communications. Uh, Because once you're authentic, you then become credible And then people can – they might not always agree with what you're saying. Uh, They might not always uh, like the message you're delivering, but they understand and trust that you are giving them the full story with it. Authentic
0: communication.
3: Authentic, yes.
0: Tina, how does that resonate with you? What are are some other secrets that you've garnered or that you advise?
3: So uh, intermediate units in and of themselves – always seem to have an identity crisis. Nobody really knows who we are, what we do. And so when we talk about effective communication, one of the things we have to do as leaders is just to convey what an intermediate unit is. And that's not just to our external stakeholders. Sometimes we forget that our employees don't know about all the wonderful things, the breadth of work that the entire organization does because every intermediate unit has so many programs going. Sometimes we forget that our own employees need to know what it is that we do, because they are our ambassadors. So we really need to focus on making sure that every time we communicate out all the great things we do, we don't forget about our internal stakeholders as well, because they will be our spokespeople, whether it's at a barbecue, a family gathering, or just out and about, they get to message out. So you need to know that everyone can be a communicator of the great things that we do in an intermediate unit world.
1: Well, Tina, it, it, knowing about, like talking about this whole thing and communicating, you talked about knowing your audience. So can you tell us about why is it important to know your audience?
3: So especially in government relations, we're speaking with legislators who really do uh, play such a critical role in funding for intermediate units, all the programs, um, So either communicating with our legislators, communicating with our school districts, but you need to know who they are that you're speaking with. You can't just make a connection without doing some research about the people you're speaking with. So I always look up, especially with legislators, because they have such vast backgrounds. They all have their bios on the website for the legislature. So it's really good to know what their background is, Or what they're interested in, because sometimes you may just totally disagree on their position. They may not be very supportive to public education, but maybe rather than shutting down the conversation, you can find a commonality, something that they're interested in that you can start talking about. So if the conversation goes a little astray, sometimes you can bring it back by saying, hey, but I know you're interested in X. So let's talk about that and how that plays into education. And I,
1: I like that. So it's like a common ground. Correct. I know I know when we had, we had recently had a Day on the Hill event where Mary and Tina were very influential. I know I was talking to one of my representatives about his sneakers because I saw that he was wearing Brooks. How about that opened up so many more opportunities for us to talk about early intervention and our, our teacher shortage and all the other areas, special education. So you are so right. It, it was so helpful to us.
3: The other thing you have to be careful about is that, you know, when you speak to people, particular legislators, they're not always going to agree with you. But don't be afraid to have conversations with those that might have a totally contrary point of view. So we know that there are some that will be extremely friendly and on our side and champions of public education. And it's all well and good to have those conversations with them. But don't forget that even if it's going to be uncomfortable, you need to be able to have and forge those relationships with those particular individuals as well.
0: So we're talking about the importance of knowing your audience, but you also have to tell your story. So Mary, how do you, how do you marry the two? How do you tell your story while also recognizing that it needs to be received effectively by somebody else?
2: So it, that's a, a great point, Mark. Uh, when you think about knowing your audience, you think about what is important to them, but also what they need to know about you from you to to be receptive to to your message. And, and part of that is is telling your story in a way that that resonates and and connects with them. So uh, i'll I'll give you an example. This just happened last week. Uh, so at uh, the Chester County Intermediate Unit, we actually run the online learning programs for our, the school district of Philadelphia. And we have our staff uh, housed there. So they go there and they have a what is called an academic support center. So the students who are having online learning can go there. It's been a really rough two years in the school district of Philadelphia, in, in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, we have had students actually uh, shot right outside of the building where our, our staff are. So I, I go down and I, I visit with them periodically. And periodically, they have to come up to our building, which is in beautiful Chester County. Uh, so in their world, there is a huge disconnect between myself and my world and, and what they experience every day. So when I was down there last week, I was asking how they were feeling about safety. But before I brought up safety, I let them know, I grew up in Southwest Philly. I, I told them a story. Um, I carry on my cell phone now uh, a picture of myself with uh, three of my uh, male cousins and my grandmother. And we're, we're in their kitchen. And when you look at the picture, they're in uh, cutoff jeans and T-shirts and we're all little. And then I, I, I told my staff in this photo, I'm the only one that's still alive. Because in the neighborhood in which I grew up in, in Southwest Philadelphia, not a whole lot of people made it out um, to be successful. And I really felt that the key to my success was that I had a very strong foundation in education. And it was drilled into me that in order to be successful, I needed to have a good education. Um My cousins, who are no longer with us, uh, when people asked how they passed, I often say, uh, well, there was a cause of death, but there were a series of poor choices and bad decisions um, that that eventually led to why they died. One died in prison. uh, The other two had been in and out of prison. Um, And I really believe the reason my life took a different path was because I focused on education. And my mother focused on my education, and she was a single, a single parent. And so what I told my staff was, I am very passionate about education. And for us in the school district of Philadelphia, students are free to go to school, and we are the only option for them. And that the work that they do is really so, so critical, because it is for many of those students... Their lifeline out of uh, generational poverty. So I think then we could talk about what we can do because I'm no longer the person that sits on Boot Road who doesn't understand. I've actually lived the life um, of the students that they're now serving.
1: Mary, thanks so much for sharing that story. And it really is that that's that's our focus of this of this podcast uh, this episode. Um, I know Tina has a, a story to, to share as well. Um, what's What's cool, you know, when you look at this, you think about, we talk about adversity a lot, so pressures, different kinds of things that are thrown at you. These two women here are very successful despite facing many challenges. Um, so uh, Tina, tell us a little bit about your story.
3: So I, too, speak very passionately about public education. is near and dear to me. It allowed me to grow as a person and, and become educated because of my public education experience. So when um, when I'm speaking to someone who may not be a fan of public education, the reality is, is that it is what saved me, what made me the success I am today. I am first-generation American. Um, I come from a very traditional, old-school Italian family where we spoke Italian, we um had a very, uh, not to say that they my family didn't value education. It just wasn't a very educated family. I am the first to go to college, obviously, first to go to law school. Um, and so coming through that growing up, I appreciate parents who may not be able to show up at school. It's not because they don't care. My experience tells me that my family cared very deeply about education. They just were working all the time and couldn't be at school. So when I'm speaking to people who say, well, parents don't really care about their kids because if they did, they'd show up. And I have to tell them my story, the fact that it's not that they didn't care. It was because of work commitments, having to put food on the table And so um, and also overcoming the English as a second language, talking about the fact that public education is the place that children grow and experience things that maybe otherwise they might not have. I always tell the story. I wouldn't have seen a zoo had it not been for field trips at school. Because my family wouldn't have taken time to go to the zoo. It cost money, and it just wasn't something that was at a highlight. But I got to experience those things because of public education. And you have to make people aware of the fact that maybe you were there for your children, or you've had different experiences growing up, but not everybody does. And so they have to remember who public education serves. And and if you tell your story that way, that's why I think Mary and I have such an easy time for us being passionate about public education because we know how critical it is for children.
1: So for our listeners, if you could see them here, the smiles on their faces. I it's it's it really is remarkable.
0: You guys have actually just modeled all the things that we talked about, right? Authentic storytelling that resonates with the listener in a way that communicates the point, right? So uh, I'm thinking about that in the context of the pandemic that we've I guess we're really still experiencing this pandemic. I think at one point we said we were exiting. I'm not so sure anymore, but um, you guys are strategic advisors to your your executive directors, uh, to your superintendent teams, to the state. As you think about strategic communication, as you think about the lessons that you've shared, this idea of being authentic, this idea of understanding your audience, this idea of understanding your own story, what are the lessons learned for the leaders out there that we've learned and that you've learned as a result of the pandemic and the strategic need to communicate differently? And what, what what are we going to carry forward?
2: I think one of the things that we really need to carry forward is that communication isn't something that just happens when you're in the middle of a crisis, right? So I, I often use the example that uh, you don't ask someone to marry them on your first date, Right. So you don't ask someone in a communication to believe you to trust you in your first your first communication. So when people say, "How do you prepare for crisis communication?" I'm like, "You prepare for it all the time. It it, it it starts way before the crisis starts because you can't ask for someone to trust you when, after the crisis has started. One of, one of the key components, and and I think. Uh, We had a good foundation for this, but we had to keep reminding ourselves of it all during the, the pandemic, is that you don't build trust through communication by telling people what you need to tell them. You build trust by telling them what you don't have to tell them. So they would say, but we don't have to tell them that. And I would say, well, I know we don't have to, but it will build trust when they hear rumors They'll be like, well, if there was an incident, surely we would know. They they always tell us when something has happened. So I think it was that. And then I think we got really, really good at making announcements. And we were not so good, at, at least at, from, from my standpoint, at my particular intermediate unit. And I can say that because I'm uh, responsible for communication. So if i it's not so good, it's my fault. Uh, we were not so good at the follow-up. Right? So we would give the first initial message. It would be this long email of everything that they needed to know, and then we would go silent until the next big announcement. Uh, so I think we then got much better at – a communication went out every day uh, – the, the second part of the school year of the first year of the pandemic, which made no sense right there. That was some poor communications. But yeah, I understood exactly what you meant. <laughs> I, yes.
0: So you're talking about the, the end of the 2020-2021 20, 20, school year. Yes. Yeah.
2: We started every day, no matter what, whether there was an incident of COVID or not, you you, 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 you got an email, Right, everyone got an email until actually parents and staff cried uncle. No mas. Yeah, right? yes. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop. Yeah. And and then it became a Friday message, right? And then it became uh, you're no longer going to get messages. It's it's on the website, right? So you could dial it back.
1: And I remember also seeing one of our superintendents posted a video to make it a little bit more personalized. So it did. It, it continued to evolve too, didn't it?
2: Yes, it did. It re- it really did. So I think that's one of the takeaways. Let people tell you when you when they receive too much communication. Don't decide we don't have to tell you anymore.
0: Tina, how about you? What, what, what resonates with you for something that you're going to carry forward, in not only your own practice, but in the advice that you give to the the many people that count on you for counsel?
3: So Mary summed it up nicely. Um, you cannot be strategic in communicating unless you look at um, how to build trust with the receiver. So. If you don't start building relationships um, throughout the time that you want to convey information, when you hit a crisis, it's too late, and the trust is not there. But you also have to be strategic in how you communicate with people. Again, we go back to knowing your audience. You're not going to speak or email, put in writing, information, the same to all audiences. So, you're not going to communicate with your superintendents the way you may speak with your Head Start families. There's a different way to communicate. You're still conveying the same information, but you are speaking in a way that's understandable and respected. So, you're respecting your audience. It's not that you're denigrating them, but Mary and I were talking, you know, if I go to a family function, if I speak to my family members, the way i speak maybe to a legislator they would look at me and say you are the biggest snob out there like who do you think you are putting on those airs so you really do need to be strategic in how you communicate to your audience and and what that delivery of the message is going to sound like by the receiver
0: one of the big takeaways i'm getting from all of this and it's a it's a It's a great reminder, right? Yes. Oftentimes we think of communication as something that the sender is doing, but really it's just always a helpful reminder that it's the recipient that should be in the focus of what you're doing, right? Not only uh, how you communicate your story, but how are they going to receive it, right? Um, Both really powerfully uh, and well put. Thank you.
1: So again, thank you, Mary Tina. It's been a pleasure. I'm so glad you could join us uh, to talk about this important piece about strategic communication. Uh, Our listeners are very appreciative, I am sure. Um, uh, Thank you again for listening to the PA Leadership Podcast, where we highlight innovation in education during times of adversity. Until next time, make it a great day and innovate PA.